episode Loaded nine. Oh. Does he sit second, man? No, I don't I think he does. I think Kevin Keegan probably sits second. Oh, my God, what a <laughs> scandal. Austin Eckler versus the cards. Go and fuck yeah. the lot of you. <laughs> Austin Eckler. He's making me like I'm some sort of cameo. Like, I'm coming in and go, and out the bag, England to win. Hello and welcome to episode 12 of Loaded Sport, where today we are going to be reviewing the weekend's action. That's week 14 of the NFL season and the quarterfinals of the 2022 World Cup in Qatar. Joining me to go through Why that, do you sound right happy about talking about it? Because when I don't sound happy, I get called a miserable <laughs> bastard. So I thought... Delighted. I'm and... He sounds this is, delighted. Does, this, this is the one time you would have got a pass on sounding miserable. But He's anyway, cosplaying as me. It must be. Carry on. Well, you've introduced yourself now, haven't you? Uh, Skin and Kemp are joining me to go through week 14 of the NFL. Mr Dawson, man with the <laughs> mic, you little Christmas treat you. I want to light you up like a Christmas tree and put balls all over you. <laughs> oh, you struggled there. I thought you were going to fall over halfway through. No. I think that's a good result control. after last weekend's... Uh, oh, dear. Okay oh, attempt, dear. but that's much better. Welcome yeah. back, Kemp. Yeah. Uh, welcome back, Skin. We'll come across to you first, I guess, to really bring the tone down as we discuss England against France. Yeah, before I do that, mate, I just want to address the uh, the lower amount of opinions and heads tonight. Mudge is getting prepared to go to the Philippines for Christmas. Can't be bad. Uh, and Sam is absolutely bolted up with this flu that's going around. I've, I've got it, but I'm pretty early into it and hopefully... Won't get much worse, but I couldn't miss this opportunity. Uh, Adam, I do have a, a message for you, though, before we get into the uh, request of talking about England versus France. So I was going to play this for for you, mate. Dawson, Kemp, how are you, boys? Um, I hope you're well. Um, Adam, just remember, mate, the listeners just don't care about what you say, so just shut the actual fuck up, please, mate. Um, yeah, just come on, mate, leave it out, all right? Just a little message for you from Mudge. Um, Told you, told he me can't be dinner. Yeah, when you said earlier, it, it's like he's here because Kemp were giving you shit. I thought, actually, why not go one step better and, and get a little message for you? But anyway, England versus France, Saturday night. Hopes of a nation had increased after a, a very positive start to the tournament, being the top scorers, joint top scorers, was it? it was, I think it was top scorers, weren't it? Only conceding two goals. Um, and unfortunately, it wasn't to be. I've we, we're recording this a day late due to other things and illnesses and stuff like that. So my my fire for talking about it has has died down a little bit. But the the main talking points are a the referee's performance, which was shocking regardless of result, and b Harry Kane's missed penalty uh, for his second attempt. But I think we've got to look at other things. And, and the reason I've gone first is because Kemp will have a very wry smile and a very I-told-you-so approach when uh, when I've, I've finished. But we could and we should have won despite the referee's performance in that game. We could and should have gone to extra time despite Harry Kane missing that penalty. But we didn't. We went out 2-1 to a team that, despite being one of the pre-tournament favourites, I don't think on the day were better than us because... They weren't. England were the better side overall. I think that someone would have to put a very good case forward to to argue that. But we know the only stat that matters at the end of 90 minutes, 120 minutes or after penalties or whatever it is, is that scoreboard. And France scored twice and we only scored once. So the issues for me, and again, this is where Kemp will very happily say, I told you so and has been telling us so for quite a long time now, but was the 
the, the fear or the hesitancy around pulling that trigger on changing tactic. Now, why Mason Mount came on, I, I, I don't know, to play in that middle role because, you know, you can't put Rashford there or you can't put such and such there because you're replacing Henderson. It's more of a central midfield role. So that attacking talent we've got, you can't put there, can't put there in quotation marks. Mason Mount in 14 games this season for Chelsea, 14 league games, has scored two goals with two assists. James Madison, going into this World Cup, was one of, if not the most informed England player in the Premier League. He has been pivotal for Leicester's climb up the table after their shocking start. And in 13 games, has seven goals and four assists. And uh, I can't remember who I saw it off, uh, someone on TalkSport, but they basically said, was James Madison picked purely so there wasn't a load of media sort of discussion around him not being picked? And I, I have to say that that seems like a fair assumption to make because... Why he wasn't bought on in that situation, I do not know. When you look at their form over the season, especially recently going into the tournament, yes, Madison had an injury, but it wasn't too long-term and he was in phenomenal form leading up to that. Now, anyone that wants to say, well, Mason Mount won the penalty, he didn't really win the penalty, did he? Uh, Saka with the first penalty, I'd say he won that with his run into the box to dribble around the players, taking that touch away from the player to then be fouled and go down. Mason Mount, made a run, well done, he made a run, he'd just come on the pitch, so, you know, he should be the most energetic and fittest bloke on that field at that moment in time. He made a run, and for some unknown crazy reason, Teo Hernandez decided to absolutely run through him. So, I would I would describe winning a penalty as a bit of, bit of skill or something like that, similar to what Saka did. Mount didn't win a penalty, he just got run through for absolutely no reason. He was no danger he wasn't in a position where he could have potentially scored at that moment for the foul. So, again, any arguments about, well, Mason Mount won the penalty? No, I'm not having that. I'm not having that at all. Then you've got Marcus Rashford, who was our top scorer at that point into the tournament, has had a pretty good season for Man United, or at least a much improved season. He'd found some form. He'd had a lot of confidence. He scored two against uh, Wales. He scored um, after coming on with his first touch against Iran in the first game. He came on in the, what, 85th minute? Just after Harry Kane had missed that second penalty. So we'd been 1-0 down, granted not for a very long time. We'd got back to 1-1 through a, a set piece or a penalty. And he was still sat on the bench up until the fact that it was still 1-1. Jack Grealish, one of the most fouled players in world football, came onto the pitch in the 98th minute and was on the pitch for about 20 seconds before that final whistle went. Why? What purpose did he have? What could he have done in that short amount of time? I would love someone to come forward and tell me a reasonable argument to explain why. Our top scorer in the World Cup came on in the 85th minute and a player who, who brings fouls upon, he's like a magnet for fouls, is not brought on with reasonable time against a back line and a centre midfield that could not handle our players who were getting rougher and more desperate because we were gaining momentum and he came on in the 98th minute. So, yes, the referee had a fucking shocker, a shocker. That first goal shouldn't have stood because of the foul early in the game. The fact that he had to go to VAR for that second penalty to be given, he had a shocker. But we could and we should have won that game or at least got to extra, extra time despite that. Yes, Harry Kane missed a penalty, a pivotal miss that will no doubt live in his mind for a very long time. But despite that, he still scored one and he, we could and we should have got to extra time at least despite him missing that penalty. 
And again, I've been one of the biggest defenders of Southgate, the, one of the biggest you know, supporters of him and what he's done for the culture of that team. But what he has done with that team is nowhere near what he has done to that team. And at some point, no matter how much good work he has done, we've got to realise is that has he taken us as far as far as he can with what we deliver on the pitch? And there's there's not really any argument. And I know we're fresh off the result and the defeat and the disappointment, but there's not really any argument to say that we're going to be better in two years' time going into the Euros and have a bigger chance because the only reason that would be is because the South American teams and, and strong teams won't be there. So, yeah, I mean, that's my thoughts. I'm running out of breath because I'm really poorly, but I just, yes, the ref was wank. Yes, he came missed a penalty, but why? And, and again, some of the comments I saw in our forum about, oh, it's easy in hindsight. I was screaming for it at half time. I've got the messages in the group chat where I was saying, move to a 4 2 3 1. Foden's done nothing out on the left because we're attacking that right hand side because they can't handle Saka and they can't handle us. Move Jude back because he was phenomenal defensively. So he could have quite easily played that role. You put. Foden in the middle, you keep Saka out right, you bring Rashford on the left, and you go for it. I was screaming for that at half-time. I was screaming for that when we went 1-1. I was like, right, let's go. And it wasn't until the 85th minute that we brought our top scorer on after we just missed a penalty, so we're still 2-1 down. And then in the 98th minute, we bring Grealish on for about 20, 25 seconds worth of action. What is he going to do? But anyway, I hope that gets across how I feel. I do think, and again, as much as I've defended him, as much as I've supported him, as much as still right now I respect what he has done for that team, and more importantly, the culture, it's time now because I think he's taken them. In terms of what we're going to do on the pitch, tactically and, and all that kind of stuff, I think we're, we're going to run out of time. We've got the next two tournaments of this team or the majority of this group of players being in their prime. So someone's got to pull the trigger. But anyway, Adam, sorry, mate. No, mate, you've asked a good half a dozen questions there, and I think there's only one person that I can really bring in to attempt to I'm answer I'm sure it'll be a short and sweet his response, but yeah. <laughs> well, here we go, Cam. I'm with the mic, you little naughty you. man. Um, yeah, uh, to be fair, there's not, not really a lot I can say on the back of that. Um, I will preface this, this sort of monologue by saying that I am also starting to feel a little bit badly so we're, we're struggling tonight, but loaded support, guys, will get you through. So, first of all, I want to sort of thank Sarah, Gal- Sarah Galfgate. God, I'm struggling. Gareth Southgate for Sorry, um, changing the feeling around the England setup, which he most certainly has. Big Sam Allardyce in for that one game, 100% win record, brilliant. What a boy. But we know there, ha- there were bits around that and, and reasons why he couldn't stay in situ. Gareth Southgate was a very... Solid, safe choice, having managed the under-23s. And he had a really good idea as to which sort of youngsters were coming through and, and who we could look at for, you know, bringing through into the main, into the first team. He's improved the relationship between the fans and the team and the media. And we're now at a point whereby we look as though we've got something to build on. We look as though now, you know, Tina actually said it to me and put it really well. We've gone those 10 steps because he had to go through a lot of, jump through a lot of hurdles to get us to where we are now. You know, we've gone those 10 steps. But unfortunately, and I really do not take pleasure in in saying this, but I've been saying to you guys for a long time, I've been saying to everybody else who, who can listen, who has a pair of ears for a long time, that Gareth Southgate is unable and not 
the man to take us that 11th step, that final step to get us to the point that we all want to be at. And that's winning tournaments. And that's the, you know, that's the aim for a setup like England. It's all right for Wales and stuff and qualifying for World Cups is amazing for them. And that's their World Cup qualifying for it. Not for England. You know, our, our, our aim always is to win it. Southgate will tell you that himself. So if we look back, and I just want to, again, I don't want to go too deep into the weeds, but I want to sort of have a look at Southgate in the sense that we're all been talking about him, how he's top three, one, you know, best England manager ever. And and to be fair, even myself got sort of wrapped up in that a little bit, saying, right, maybe third. But actually, I did a bit of research, and it's and it's, it's unlike me for loading sports to do my research, but bear with me. So I look back at England's World Cup performances since 1990. Lost in the semi-finals versus West Germany, who I think you'll both agree in the 90s were a very good team. Yeah. 1998, lost in the last 16 versus Argentina. Argentina or Argentina, they've always been a good setup. 2002, lost in the quarterfinals against Brazil. 2006, lost in the quarterfinals against Portugal. 2010, lost in the last 16 against Germany. 2014, we were out in the group. What a joke that was. Um, yeah. <clears throat> 2018, lost against Croatia in the semi-final. 2022, lost in France, against France in the quarterfinal. So for me, you look at that record on the pitch... The only difference between Southgate and the vast majority of recent managers since Bobby Robson is the look of the draw. That is it. I'm not having he's the man to win as a tournament anymore. I'm not. I'm not even going to entertain that. You know, when I've heard that in the past, I've been like, oh, I don't necessarily agree, but you know, he's got us quite far. I'm not having it anymore. You know, he did. You've just explained it perfectly, Dawson. I've said it before. I say it again. He's not tactically able to change things in a positive way that will take us that next step in a game and in a tournament. He goes back to what he knows. It's a default setting. When I said Sterling would play, to be fair, I did say he'd start. But when I said he'd start, you guys were like, oh my God, no way, no way, no way. And I knew they were going to get Sterling involved in that game because it's his default setting. Sterling, bless him. I'm not going to talk about club form, to be fair, and you have, and that's, that's your prerogative. But Harry Maguire has been fucking dreadful for Man United and he's yeah. played really well this World Cup. So I'm not going to talk about club form. What I am going to talk about is performances in this World Cup. Raheem Sterling, bless his heart, it's horrible what's happened to him. He's been absolutely non-existent in this tournament. He's been non-existent. You but might he, as well like, put, like you said last week, he was dropped before that anyway. Mate, you might as well have put me up there. And I've got asthma. I can't breathe at this time of year. You might as well have put me up there. Honest to God, he's done nothing. And like I say... I feel for him if, after what he's gone through. But this tournament, he's done nothing. Mason Mount, exactly the same thing. He's he's done nothing. Even in games against weaker opposition, Mason Mount has done absolutely nothing. And in this game against France, we were the better team. We controlled possession. We looked, we looked really, really good. The one thing we couldn't do is just unpick them. Just that one killer ball, just that one final pass, just that one moment that would get us in for that real clear-cut chance because even though we did dominate possession we didn't really have that many clear-cut chances so all we needed to do is bring somebody on to unpick that lock right and he brings on Mason Mount and Raheem Sterling okay not Rashford not Grealish Mason Mount and Raheem Sterling who both have done next to nothing in this tournament Marcus Rashford's in form. He's high on confidence. He brings with, and he brings him on with five minutes left of normal time. 
Grealish on. Two minutes left in the entire game. No, there were, mate, there was 20 seconds left. In these... But, do you know to what I mean? To be fair, I don't in, in think these, Grealish was even in these coming games, on until Stones got injured. Yeah, but... Well, even even so, even, I'm not, that's I'm even not, worse. I'm not saying that's the right thing to do. I'm no, I know, but that's no, but that's even seconds. worse. That's even more. That's even more damning because you look at it from that perspective, and he's not even going to bring him on at all. We're losing two one. We need to get a goal to take it to extra time. At least he's not even going to bring him on at all. You no, know, so in these games against competent opposition, I said it before the game. I say it after the game. You need a manager who can read the game, make the necessary changes, make the difference. And go on and win that game by any means necessary. And unfortunately, three times out of three, you know, Croatia, Italy, France, three times out of three, he's proved that he cannot do it against the big teams. And like I say, the only difference between him and even managers like Sven Goran Eriksson is the look of the draw on the night. Is it? That's it. So this is the question I've got yeah. for you then. So you say the difference between Sven and Southgate is the look of the draw. Sven managed during the golden generation didn't he really so would you say that that means we are what would you say about this team in comparison to the golden generation do you think we're in a better position now to go on and and win with as you say a competent manager or do you think that maybe we're in a better position during the golden generation but this goes back to our earlier point of we we completely respect and appreciate and acknowledge the work that he's that Southgate's done behind the scenes. We are in a better position now to win a tournament. I mean in terms of, of player ability, not because of the camaraderie. Player yeah. I'd I'd even so say so with that. Like as a as a squad, I genuinely would argue that England have got a top maybe a th- top three, but one hundred percent a top five full squad in the world of football right now. And yes, we would have had that on paper back in the golden generation, but there are a lot of very strong sides. And, and Kemp's point is that we went out in the round of 16 before, we went out in the quarters before, we went out in the groups before Southgate. But the luck of the draw being was because we faced better teams early. Whereas if you look at the teams that we faced in 2018, uh, well, 2020 slash last year and, and this World Cup, we got lucky. The term luck of the draw is just the fact that we didn't face a, a decent team or a 50-50 team up until later in the tournament. World Cup in 2018, we lost to Belgium in the group stages where we faced the team. But fortunately, we were already through. Lost against them again in the third place playoff. Comfortably lost as well. We were never really in the game. So I think that's Kemp's point is that Southgate just got lucky that we didn't meet a higher place team up until a bit later in the tournament. But yeah, we're, well, we are 100% for me in a better position now to win uh, a tournament. But that's not just because of players on the pitch or the ability of the players on the pitch. That's everything. Because in 2006, during that golden generation, we spoke about it last week, that team on paper was phenomenal. But they hated being there. So what's the point? You, you, we would have done better with a team, if that was an 8 out of 10 team on paper, we would have done better with a 6 out of team on uh, six out of ten team on paper that was so fucking happy to be there. And, and we're all invested on, on doing the same thing and achieving as much as they could. But they hated being there. So it doesn't matter how good it was then because they didn't want to be there. They hated the culture. They hated how they were managed. And So what's the point? It's, it's irrelevant. This team now, by a million miles, is a much better team to win the tournament. But I cannot see how we're going to do that because, again, we flip it around now. Yes, great th- things are great behind the scene. Yes, players can't wait to get on, on tour with England. Yes, they absolutely have pride in their shirt now and it doesn't matter who they play for on a club level. But if their manager can't, change things at the right time 
again, it's irrelevant. Like both things have to match up, and we we've flipped around what we didn't have in the past. We've now got the squad again as well as well as the culture. But if a manager isn't going to bring your top scorer on, we we will be. Marcus Rashford was on the pitch for less time. Oh, sorry. Let me rephrase that. The time between France going two one ahead and Marcus Rashford going on was longer than the time Marcus Rashford came on in the final whistle. That is fucking criminal in a World Cup knockout game where you are two one down and your top scorer is on the pit is on the bench longer than the time between him coming on in the final whistle. And then again, yes, Jack Grealish hasn't been in the best form. Yes, he's got a big spotlight on him because of of you know his fee for Man City and things like that. But he's shown when he plays for England that that impact he has as a sub. And again, he drives at players, he attacks at players. He would have been perfect in that situation. And the French <laughs> French defenders couldn't handle him. And he's coming on with 20 <laughs> seconds left. And like you said, Adam, was that only because Stones got injured? Mate, it's just, it's too late now. Let's just... I think it was. Before it's too late, let's let's just make a change. The, the culture is going to be there. The manager that comes in is going to want to uphold that culture because they know how important it is. But they're going to be someone that makes the decision at the right time. Okay. So there's already been a couple of managers rumoured to be interested in the job. Southgate steps down tomorrow morning. Who, if you're in charge of the FA, are you looking as your number one candidate to replace him? Do you want to take this one first, Kemp? Yeah, I can do. And actually, one our other good friend Liam was in the pub watching the game the other night as well. Shout out to Liam. Lovely lots. Um, he he made a very good point about, you know, I don't think that the England manager should, shouldn't be English. I think it should be the same as, as it is um, if you're a player, you should be English or have that English heritage, I suppose, um, and be able to qualify to play for England. And I'm not saying I disagree with that. I think it's a good idea. Unfortunately, that's not a role at the moment, which means I can make my pick outside of that spectrum. And and that's at this moment in time where I would make my pick. And um, If they were available, it would be Eddie Howe or Graham Potter. Unfortunately, they are not available anymore. They're not on the market. So it, it has to be, for me, uh, a foreign manager. And I think Thomas Tuchel is the man to take England forward for the next tournament. You look at what we want. We want to win the tournament. Thomas Tuchel's got a really good reputation from his Chelsea players and I think even his Dortmund players before that. I don't really know at PSG because it's a difficult one, PSG, especially relationship between manager and players. But he's got a really good reputation for keep, you know having a really good relationship with his players and making it a nice atmosphere for, for his players to play in. And I think that's really important. I think bringing somebody in like a, a Mourinho or somebody of that character into this England setup would would ruin a lot of the hard work that Gareth Southgate's done to build that environment. So you want somebody that can maintain that, but also, in my opinion, is is much more tactically able to to change it and to maybe bring players into the setup that you know we've we've not seen. You know, some of Sarah gets Gareth Southgate's favourites. Hey, you're might. struggling with that name tonight. I know. I know some of Gareth Southgate's, you know, favourites might have to move away. And that's, for me, a, a good thing. So I think Thomas Tuchel's the man. I think he's the person to take us into the next tournament. Give him a contract till after the Euros. If we've not done any better after the Euros, then we can reassess. But, you know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. And if we do keep Southgate in post, I do think that's what's going to happen. Fair enough, Skin. Uh, I agree pretty much with what Kemp said there. Ideal world, Eddie Howe, but 
the position he's in at Newcastle now. That's not going to happen, is it? Or it's extremely unlikely. Uh, Thomas Tuchel, I think, tactically, you see what he did. He was, it was so harsh for Chelsea to get rid of him. We've said it at the time. Like his, his record with them was fantastic. He did really well at PSG um, and, and clubs he'd managed that previously. Another name that I will chuck out there, because this is a name that I've mentioned quite a few months ago and it's recently come back up with since the loss with the talks of um, Southgate potentially leaving. But Brendan Rodgers, yes, he's Northern Irish. Yes, he's not English. But I think when he was at Liverpool, he got so close to winning the league. What he's done with Leicester, you know, they could have quite easily had a massive downfall after winning the league under Ranieri, uh, and he's done brilliantly well. Won the, he was he was the manager when they won the FA Cup, weren't he? Um, and yes, they've had a poor start to the season, but he's turned it around. They didn't sign anybody in in the summer, so you know it's a really tough position to be in. They lost key players as well, such as Casper Schmeichel, you know, a leader for that team and, and integral to the success they've had over the years. And again, they didn't sign anyone, so no, no surprise really that they had to start. But again, he's turned it around with what he's done tactically. Players like James Madison, the form that I mentioned earlier that he's been in, and, and I think again how he sets up his teams and how they play, I think give him him that that squad of players, and I think he's up there in terms of a that good mix mix of man management that we no doubt like you said Kent with Mourinho we don't want to completely lose but B that tactical nuance and, and decisiveness in, in how he approaches games could uh, could tend us quite well so yeah I'll put his name out there as well as someone we've not discussed is there is there anyone that you can think Adam that we, we've not mentioned already yeah and I mentioned him when just before Southgate actually got the job and Sean Dyche at the very beginning I'm mean, I... literally just about to interrupt to say can I guess is it going to be Sean Dyche <laughs> fucking I wish I had now but yeah it sorry, is. And maybe I'm a little bit biased but for me I thought Dyche or Howe prior to Howe getting Newcastle and prior to Southgate getting in the England job the first time I think now Dyche is kind of out of the running because he's been out of the game for too long he needs to get a club and and kind of like reassign himself with with club football before he gets that opportunity. Does at, he though? International Does level. he though? Like, I think so. Yeah, I you, think he's, look he's at, gone look for at a Eddie while. Howe. He was out of the game for. I, I, I kept saying it for ages. I don't understand how Eddie Howe's not been picked up. It's different though. Forward. It's different. I think it's different. I think it's different. Sean Dyche, in in that setup at Burnley, I, I do feel like sometimes that there are perfect managers for for perfect clubs, and at that point in Burnley's lifespan. Sean Dyche was a, obviously a huge part of what they did. Sean Dyche was Burnley for the for the longest time. And the players that he had at his disposal, the budgets that they, they had to sort of um, work between the parameters in terms of money that they had to work within and, and that framework in the, which Burnley operated and his sort of his goal and his job was just keep us in this Premier League by hook or by crook. And he did it for a few seasons and that's great. But do I want him as England manager? I mean, his, his style of football is really, really archaic, you know, but barbaric at times. <laughs> and the players that we've got, they're, they're so, you know, we've got such skillful players, Jude Bellingham, Phil Foden, you know, a lot of what we want is these players creatively expressing themselves and breaking down teams with, with some lovely football. And is Sean Dyche going to be able to, bring that I, I don't know I, Sean Dyche for me you might as well get Big Sam back <laughs> yeah rather than Sean Dyche so. well, that's what I mean not needs, for me on that that's one. what I mean he needs to get another club and, and reassign himself at club level and prove himself at a club that I mean he's only ever I believe really of note managed Burnley and Watford and 
Yeah, and at Watford, have, he didn't do very well. He didn't do much at all at Watford. And, and Burnley, obviously, no. with his success, you've just mentioned. So, for me, he needs another mm. club. Based upon his I think if he did go to another club, and I think if he did do really well, then, you know, maybe. But Sean Dyche also needs to prove that he can manage in a different way. He can manage in a different yeah. guise. If he takes over another club and, and they play sort of a different style of football, maybe a Swansea or somebody like that, that are, are known for playing quite possession-based football. If Sean Dyche can do that and facilitate that, then, you know, maybe. But at this point in time, I think he's very one-dimensional and I think... That's what we've got at the minute, a very one-dimensional manager yeah. and obviously it's not working out very well so far, well, in my opinion. 100%. No, I agree with you and I think that kind of sets it as Eddie Howe and you say he's kind of out of bounds because at the moment he's with Newcastle. Is he? If that option or that opportunity arose for him, do you think he'd, he'd obviously have something to think about but he's got a choice of sticking with Newcastle or, or going on to manage England and I think to some managers that is a bit of a no-brainer but yeah, Eddie Howe or, or like you mentioned... Um, Tuchel, I'm going to pronounce it Tuchel. It's probably wrong, but it's fine. I'm going to go with it anyway. Um, I think they're, they're the two that I'd really go for, to be honest. I don't think Eddie Howe's on the table. I think it's quite obvious that he, he feels like he's got a project at Newcastle and he's doing pretty well so far. I don't yeah. think anybody agree with that. He's just surpassing all expectations. The money that Newcastle will be paying him, the project, that you know, the feel-good factor around him there at the minute. You know, if he did want to do something spectacular like manage club and country, you know, like Mourinho is allegedly touted to do, then that'd be great. But to no, be fair, I, I don't think he also likely. doesn't need it right now. So, like I mentioned, no. then if he got that opportunity, do you think he'd take it? He could easily not take it, and by the time that whoever's gone in charge next to step down, he could have increased his own reputation to the point that yeah, he can then go to England. It's not like. He's on a limit before he starts performing badly with Newcastle. They sack him, and mm. that opportunity is gone. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not sure. I 100% agree. I mean, Newcastle have had a very, very good start. I'm not questioning that they've been brilliant, but a lot of what you know, a lot of the contributing factor to that, and it has been Eddie Howe, but also a lot of what you know, it's been a there's been a massive bounce in Newcastle. They've had it, you know, ten years or so. Of Mark Ashley stripping away the entirety of the club. And, and, you know, the Sports Direct FC, and it's just, it was a horrible, horrible atmosphere for the longest time. You know, now they've got these new owners in, this investment in, Eddie Howe, and it's all exciting, it's brilliant, the fans are back on side. It's a massive, massive bounce, especially playing at home at St James's Park. So, yes, he's doing a very good job, but would I be that shocked to see him finish sixth or seventh and then next season maybe finish mid-table and get somebody else in? I wouldn't be that shocked, no, because the Premier League's a very difficult league and... Again, a lot of what Eddie Howe's done and a lot of what Newcastle have done has been from that new bounce and that feel-good feeling around around the area after the takeover. So I'm not sure I necessarily agree with that, Adam. Fair enough. Let's move on to discuss the other three quarterfinals that took place over the weekend. Uh, the first of which, we're going to go with Morocco against Portugal. Now, give me your thoughts on this. I weren't able to watch this game, but I was what? just as surprised as the next person when I saw the result. Yeah, I, I was just about to say the same because with it being Saturday three o'clock football, I was at the Chesterfield game, so also didn't watch it. I had the odd glance at the score, um, and Kemp was at Sheffield United, so also didn't watch it with it being a Saturday three o'clock kickoff. So yeah, we can only go off based off of the result. Portugal were heavily favoured, which you, you would expect, and, and Morocco, as they have done, held on tight, grabbed a goal, and progressed to the semi-final in the first ever. African team to reach the semi-finals of the World Cup, so an incredible achievement for them. They've got um, France tomorrow night. Obviously, part of you thinks 
Morocco, not the strongest side in the world. If we've got past France, you get a bit giddy and you, you know, you assume you're going to beat them and, and face the World Cup final. So it'll be by no means a, an easy game for France. But yeah, it's it's full respect to them. They've conceded one goal all tournament, including taking part in a penalty shootout. And they've knocked out Spain and Portugal. And now they face France. So if they get to the final, they fucking deserve it. So yeah, fair play to them. And with that performance, Kemp, do you say it's probably the most successful feel-good story of the World Cup in terms of most recent World Cups as well? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, they've they've done unbelievably well. The fact that they've reached, reached the semi-final, nobody apart from Samuel Eto'o had him reaching the semi-final. <laughs> Not so, one single person. <laughs> Samuel so shout out to Samuel Eto'o. He knows a lot more than we give him credit for, but... No, they've done really, really well. They've played not an amazing brand of football, but they've played a winning brand of football. And they've they've dug in, they've fought, they've battled, and they've beat two big teams. And um, that's two more big teams than Gareth Southgate's ever beat. So, yeah, they've had a great run. And fingers crossed, I hope, make the final. I can't personally see it, but I think it'd be a fantastic story. You made a comment Just, uh, earlier about how you're disappointed and you're not happy to say that Southgate didn't succeed in beating France. And I, I disagree. I know, but I've got to have a little dig. You, you know what I mean? Him all the time. <laughs> I think part of you is quite chuffed that he, that he didn't succeed in that. At least no, a little I'm, bit. No, I'm not. He's not chuffed. He's not slightly smug. That he's slightly smug. Listen, I'm, I'm, I'm gutted that England went out. You know, I, I really am. I was in the pub the other night, like I say, with the lads, and I was I was extremely disappointed. Um, but th- you always like being vindicated don't you when you have a sporting opinion that sometimes is quite controversial and a lot of people don't you know disagree with you and say you're wrong or for this reason for that reason for you then to be proved right you're not going to be fuming at that are you you know it's yeah. it's it's a, it, it vindicates your footballing opinion and while I might not be right about a lot of the things especially NFL a lot of the time um I like to think I know my football so no, you did well there, mate, and you, and you have been saying it for a very long time, which is why I, I I asked if I could open because I felt like yeah, it was a better way to go. But just to quickly back on Morocco before we move on to the other two quarterfinals, but uh, I read somewhere that their manager has only been in charge for eight games. Um, so I mean, what a run! <laughs> he's he's made the World Cup semi-final in his first eight games as as Morocco manager. So not bad at all, that is it. So we know is who that... we need to replace Southgate. There you go. Does that mean, though, that he had a couple of qualification games before or was it just friendly games and then the World Cup? Uh, without checking, mate, but I'd guess friendlies. Yeah, that's astonishing, isn't it? Yeah. It stocks, it stocks really high after this, then, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, just a little bit, yeah. Right, let's anyway, get Adam. the prediction done for Morocco against France, then. Skin, we'll start with you. Should we not cover the other two uh, quarterfinal games first? Well, I or thought we'll forward? do that and then cover the semi-final okay. that got a result of them quarterfinals. That that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, I have gone. Uh, what did I go? I filled this out earlier because I, I was I was filling some bits out. Two uh, one to France uh, in in normal time. Okay, Kemp. I think it's going to be one nil to France. I think it'll be a scrappy game. I don't think it'll be an entertaining game. I think a lot of it will be Morocco sitting behind the ball and France trying to break them down. But I feel like they've got the quality to do that. So, yeah, 1-0 France, nip and tuck. I'm going 1-1 and France to win on penalties. Nice. That'll yeah. be a, a good way to close that close the semi-finals off. I do quickly want to rub my own helmet, actually, because it's something I've not mentioned. But in last week's preview, I talked about uh, Griezmann being one of the most underrated players in, in that 
battle in the middle of the park was key for who got the win. And uh, if you look at who assisted both of France's goals, it was Antoine Griezmann. So that's all thought he did. Put then, that out there. Granted, obviously, so you need to do, you mate, need when you're that do. good of a player. There you go. That's all you need to do. And that's why you bring Marcus Rashford on with more than fucking five minutes to go. And yeah, but anyway. We'll not get back we into know. that. Move we on know. to the other quarterfinals. The two quarterfinals that took place on Friday, one at three o'clock, one at seven o'clock, both finished level and went on to penalties. We'll start with the three o'clock between Croatia and Brazil that finished one apiece before Croatia finally won 4-2 on penalties. Kemp, I'll come to you for this one first. Yeah, I mean, it was a very disappointing performance from Brazil. I think everybody will probably agree with that. I think a lot of people thought Brazil were going to be the, the favourites going into the game, especially. They've yeah. been playing some some decent football and they've had some really good performances. Um, they just they came unstuck. They they looked passive. They, they didn't look like they they could break Croatia down. And I think Croatia, in the end, you know, they, they did enough. You know, they won the penalty shootout. They held the nerve and they did enough to win the game. And you've got to take your hat off to them. You know, Croatia have been a... A quite a successful team over the past few years and at England's expense uh, one time as well. So they're a difficult side. They're not a side that's easy to beat and they proved that um, over the weekend. So hats off to him. You know, they're playing against our... Are they playing against Argentina in the next as game? As we speak, tonight? yeah. Yeah, so are they going to come through that? I mean, if they do, they're going to be upsetting folk and yeah, imagine if it's Croatia-Morocco final. That'd be interesting. Yeah, definitely. I'm going to slightly disagree with Kemp's assessment of that game. I think Brazil had a lot of chances. They they played quite well, but Dominic Livakovic, who's the Croatian goalkeeper, had, for me so far, the goalkeeping performance of the tournament in that second half. He was unbelievable. Brazil came out, they looked like they were going to try and finish it off in 90 minutes and they just couldn't get past him. He was like a wall. And yeah, Neymar scored that. Very good goal where he pretty much just ran through the midfield and the defence and was like, no, I need to sort this shit out. And then, yeah, 116 minutes on the clock, Brazil are going through. And uh, Croatia gets uh, an equaliser, albeit through a little bit of luck with the deflection and then one on penalties. So, yeah, what a what a result for them. They've not won a World Cup knockout game in 90 minutes since 98 and they've reached two semi-finals. So that, that says everything about how tough they are to break down and how they grind out results. But... Clearly, it's working for them. Got to the final last time. They're in the semi-finals this time. So, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. They're experienced as well. And I think this is the last we're really going to see of this Croatia side as well. So, I think for them, it's like one last hurrah, isn't it, really? To go on and uh, do what they can. Um, moving yeah. on to Netherlands against Argentina. Argentina walked away 4-3 winners on penalties after a 2-2 draw in regular time. And I'm going to kick things off by asking you both. Skin, we'll start with you. That free kick from the Netherlands in the final <sighs> moment might just be the most training ground free kick I think I've ever seen, including the one that led to, I want to say it was John Stones that scored against Panama. Panama, yeah. yeah. Uh, what can you say? For me, game of the tournament so far was absolutely unbelievable. It was chaos. Uh, a record, what was it 16, 17 yellow 16, cards? yeah. Uh, four goals. Uh, Argentina were 2-0 up with, what, 85 minutes on the clock. And it ended up being on penalties, 90 plus 11 minutes. They had the biggest balls ever known in the human race to, like you say, pull off that free kick routine. It's something that he's, uh, Greg Horst has done that at club level. Um, forgive me for not remembering who it was, Wolfsburg, Werder Bremen, someone like that maybe, but he did the exact same thing it was going about on social media after that. So something that it, he's been a part of before and successfully 
put in the back of the net. So confident in doing so, but again, doing it at club level in a random game, doing it on the training ground again is one thing, but doing it in the 101st minute of a World Cup quarter final when you're two one down takes massive balls and and well, just pure ice in your veins to still stick it in the back of the net. So yeah, fair play to him. But yeah, for me, game of the tournament so far and Messi's quest to become the absolute unarguable goat of all time continues. Right, so what we'll do is we'll get the predictions now for Argentina against Croatia. At the time of this recording, it is still nil-nil as it stands, so I'll say it's only fair that we can probably get a bit of a uh, prediction in there. Skin, I'll start... Uh, Kemp, sorry, I'll start with you this time. Hey, yeah. I think Argentina are going to win 1-0 and it'll be a late goal. I think Messi is going to get them over the line. It's It's a real... Real last push now for, like like Dawson said, um, and and everybody said it. To be fair, you know, if Messi does win this tournament and Argentina do win this tournament, I think he does go down as the goat, and I think that'll drive not only Messi but the team to sort of get that extra power in the legs and and, and get him over the line. So I think that's what they'll do. I think they'll win one nil, and I think Argentina will be in the World Cup final. Nice skin. Pre-game, I had one nil Argentina as well, so I'll stick with that for now. What about you, mate? Me, I'm going to go with nil-nil and Argentina to win on penalties. So we've all gone for an Argentina-France final, which I think some people may yeah. have predicted at the very beginning, to be fair as well. Just um, a very quick question to you both, if if I may. We talked about Messi's quest to become the GOAT there. Just two players that I want both of your opinions very quickly on where you'd put them. So Luka Modric, Ballon d'Or winner, carried that country on his back at times, phenomenal player, won a lot of trophies at club level including, what, five Champions League for Real Madrid. If he takes Croatia to the World Cup and wins it, where would you put him on that level of best midfielders of all time? Kemp, I'll start with you. He's got to be up there. Um, Ballon d'Or winner. Not not everybody can say that for their career. And it's not just, you know, a Ballon d'Or winner like Michael Owen, where, you know, about three, four seasons at an unbelievable level and then, you know, f- faded away. You know, he's, he's been consistent, you know, ever since he sort of pitched up for Spurs and even before that, God, 10 plus years ago now, you know, he's he's, he's been a, a consistent player, a creative midfielder who's not just done it for club, but done it for country as well. You know, he, he's got to be top 10, I'd say, in the best midfielders of all time. I don't think he quite cracks top five just because of the, 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 the sort of ground that that covers. But yeah, no question about it. He's really got to go down in the record books as as one of the best midfielders of all time. Like I say, probably top 10, Dawson, if you agree. Well, I was just thinking, if he does win the World Cup on Sunday for Croatia, does that help his case for the top five? Mm, probably not, no. Probably not. Um, I, I know it's a bit of a, you know, a counter in my argument for Messi being the GOAT, because if Messi is the GOAT, then he wins the World Cup and vice versa. But I think the ground that that covers is less than the, the ground that Modric covers in, in the in the sense of being a midfielder. You look at the players that have played in that same role or a similar role, and it's very, very difficult to put him in top five. You, you're getting rid of a lot of unbelievable players, yeah. you know, to, to, to get to get him in that top five. So I don't but, think so. That's fair. That's fair. Adam, very quickly, where would you rank Modric, assuming that he lifts the World Cup on Sunday for Croatia? I have to agree with Kemp and say top 10 overall. I think there's so many good midfielders that have been through the game 
even in recent years, that I think still rank quite highly above him, regardless of whether he, he wins or not. The the bit that remains in my mind is that time that he was at Tottenham for. Um, and I think, obviously, yeah. he never really had the, the as much success and he wasn't really as highly regarded as he was or now is, should I say. Um, so that's always playing on my mind. So I'd have him top 10 if he can go on and win it with Croatia because, like you say, he's been carrying that side on his back. OK, very, very quickly then. With no explanations, just yes or no or top 5, top 10, whatever, or absolutely not. If France win the World Cup on Sunday... Rafael Varane will be a four-time Champions League winner, multiple-time La Liga winner, and also a two-time World Cup winner as well. So, Kemp, very quickly, where where do you think that level of success would place him on the best defenders of all time? Top 25, maybe. You know, I, I get it. He's been a fantastic defender for club and for country. But you think about where a lot of those trophies have come from, where those Champions Leagues have come from. They've come from Real Madrid. They've come from that unbelievable side. You know, it's the same sort of argument that I make against Gareth Bale being one of the best. You know, I've had this argument with with a few few people before about him being the best British player of all time because he won three Champions Leagues or whatever it was. You know, he, how many Champions Leagues did he directly contribute to himself? So, nope. top twenty five maybe, but two two out yeah. of three ain't bad. Y- yeah, I, I get it, and it's great. But, you know, when, again, when you think of the ground that that covers, there's a lot of recency bias in that sense. And yeah. you look at the defenders that, that have played the game throughout the course of history. And Rafael Varane is a fantastic defender, but I don't think he craps top 25. And if I actually had to think about it, probably won't crack top 30. But I'll have to have a think about that one. Fair enough. Ag? No, I don't think he even cracks top 20, probably not even top 30 for me. Interesting, that isn't it? That's we base forwards on success, but midfielders and offenders, we don't. No, get the I think same. it's different no, for Messi. No, I think it's different for Messi. I don't, I don't even think forwards. I don't even think forwards. I think Messi. You know, Messi is is in a complete realm of his own, and I think I would judge him or Ronaldo on the success at this World Cup because it's their last World Cup. If they win the World Cup, do they go down as one of the greatest players of all time? If not, the greatest player of all time. I, I get what you're saying, and and. Forwards obviously are recognised more than other players. You know, look at the Ballon d'Or winners in the last few years, and and they've all basically been forwards. But I don't think so in this in this perspective. I think because of who Messi and Ronaldo are, that's why this tournament dictates their success because their club career and their international career to a certain degree in the past has dictated that they are at this point now. Whereas players like Modric and Varane, good careers. You know, fantastic players. You could argue world-class at times in their career, but they're nowhere near the level of Messi and Ronaldo. And that's why we judge those two on this World Cup and maybe not anybody else. Right. Fair enough. Lads, we're going to have to move on to talking about the lock of the weeks and the wild card for football before we move on to discussing uh, the UFC. So, after the weekend, the football, my lock of the week team was Sheffield United. They got the win. Gakpo did not score for the Netherlands and Morocco did beat Portugal. So that's two out of three for me. Not bad. Again, you've you've kind of, we we obviously, with the weather changing some of the fixtures and the fact that the fixtures got postponed, we changed it slightly for you. So you went for Chesterfield to win. Thankfully that happened. Um, You went for Hoskins to score. That game, uh, that that got classed as null and void because the game got postponed. Null and void, and QPR, you went for the win on the wild card. I'm not sure if I counted that as a wild card because I think it was like 
first against sixth or second against sixth or something like no. that. No, they, they were they, they were playing Burnley, man. Definitely a wild card. I didn't want them. I wanted Netherlands to qualify, so I wouldn't have won either way. Fair. But um, I'd have got a lot closer with Netherlands, and I would have with QPR. They got battered, but it was a bit of a panic pick. So effectively, you got game. one out of two in that one. Yeah. So that's fair enough. Uh, Sam got Brazil. Uh, he went for Brazil. Sorry to win. They didn't. He also went for McBurney to score. He didn't. He also went for Oxford to win. They didn't play. So he got zero out of two in football. <laughs> Is that why he's not here tonight? He's <laughs> saying he's ill, but he just don't want to face it. It's feeling sick from badly. looking at them outcomes. Um, <laughs> Mudge, he got Portugal. He went for, they didn't win. He went for Ramos to score. He didn't score. And he went for Netherlands to win. They didn't win. So he got What's zero out of three. stupid fucking prick. Uh, Kemp, you went for Yeovil to win. They didn't. You went for Ricarlison Ricarlison to score. He okay, didn't. Ricall. Mate, I've said oh, nothing about Ricky. Sarah Southgate, have I? So let's Ricky. Let's leave it. Um, you went for Ricarlison to score. He didn't. And you went for Wigan to win. They didn't. So you also got zero out of three. Get in. As a result of that. So sort after the football the section, lads. I said sort your shit out for Thursday's picks. Like, come on. We'll, we'll do. I'll do my absolute best. I can't speak for the others. So Mudge and Kemper on zero. Sam is on zero as well, but he's out of two instead. Skin's on one out of two, and I'm on two out of three after the football round. In just a few moments' time, we'll be coming back to discuss UFC 282. Welcome back to episode 12 of Loaded Sport. It's time to discuss the weekend's action in Las Vegas as UFC 282 took place. Kemp, I'll let you take it away from here. Yeah, and what looked on the basis of it, a pretty decent fight card and probably ended up being um, a very good start to proceedings. Every single fight on the prelims card went um, didn't go the distance. Uh, three TKOs, a submission, and, and a great start to the main card as well. You've got Ilya Tapuria um, beating Bryce Mitchell really handily, um, and, and his beef with Paddy the Baddy at the pre-fight press conference has got him a little bit of attention as well. So yeah. a really, really good win for Ilya Tapuria, and um, he looks like a real contender in that division. Duplessis beating Darren Till by a face crank in the third round, which we all unfortunately saw coming. Darren Till is, isn't is in a great spot at the minute in terms of fighting, but he looks as though he's in a good spot in his personal life. He looks very happy and very chipper, and I don't think the, the result... Matters. Yeah, and I don't think the result changes that. I think he knows that he's, he's sort of reached his ceiling in the UFC, maybe against Woodley, and I think maybe he'll go on to do other things now. And I think I'd like to see him do that as well. Santiago Ponzinibbio defeated Alex Morono. By TKO, catch weight fight, Morona stepping in on short notice wasn't that surprising to me. Ponzinibbio pretty much dominated the fight and uh, got the stoppage win. We then come to the main two fights of the card. Here we go. Unfortunately, were the most, I'd say, disappointing fights on the card. Um, Paddy the Baddy Pimblet against Jared Flash Gordon, uh, the, the lightweight event, co main event of the evening. Three five minute rounds. And if you woke up the next morning and looked at the results and you saw Paddy the Baddy beating Jared Gordon, you'd think, oh, Paddy's outstruck him. 
Maybe took him down a few times. It's literally what I thought. Had him in a bad, you know, in a bad, bad place. And then if you watch the fight, you think, oh, when does Jared, oh, when does Paddy take over? Oh, the fight's over. So, in my opinion, my humble opinion, um, Jared Gordon won that fight quite, quite comfortably. Um, Paddy the Baddy took it by unanimous decision, 29-28, 29-28, 29-28, which means all three judges had Paddy winning two rounds and Jared Gordon winning one. This is the side of fighting, boxing, MMA, all of it that that really I don't like. You know, Paddy Pimblett has got a massive contract with Barstool Sports. Uh, You know, he's he's a huge up-and-coming star for the UFC. And for him to lose at this point against a a guy like Jared Gordon, who isn't the most well-known fighter in the UFC, although he's very, very technical and very skilled and deserves that, that, you know, that that, that victory. Unfortunately, Paddy takes the decision and that's probably because of his name and, and the, the, the eyes that he draws to the sport, which I don't like. It's my least favourite part of fighting, but that's the result at the end of the night. Jan Blachowicz versus Magomed Ankalaev for the light heavyweight championship of the world ended in a split decision draw. Um, Jan Blachowicz started the fight really well, faded away in the last three rounds. Ankalaev, in my opinion, took those last three rounds. Um, the judges had it 48-47, Jan Blachowicz, 46-48, Magomed Ankalaev, and the last judge, I think, had it 47-47. So it was a draw. Um, it was a very uninspiring fight. I feel like both fighters probably could have done more. Um, and I think Dana White even agrees with that because I think the next fight for the light heavyweight title doesn't feature either of those guys. That's, I think that's it correct. is... Yeah, I think it's going to be um, Glover Teixeira against Jamal Hill, if I'm right. In Brazil, so, I believe. In Brazil. And then on the next card, on the next card, I think, um, I think it's to UFC 283 in January where that will take place. So Dana's not messing about, obviously, because it was a draw and it was a vacant title. Neither of those boys walk away with the belt. So what was a maybe a, a bit of a dud for a lot of people, apart from the co-main and the main, actually turned out to be a, a pretty good show apart from the co-main and the main. So this is the fight game. This is how it works. And um, a, a mixed bag of results for the UFC on the night, Adam. Nice one. Thank you very much. In just a few moments time, going to be reviewing week 14 of the NFL season. Welcome back to episode 12. He's of... come back to talk about the NFL. You think he's special? He's come you back. Do. Carry on, I'm not interested in carrying on now. Honestly, that's how miserable you are in real life. Well, there we go. <laughs> and then see the real you, mate. Spoiled the surprise. Go on, Aggie. Spoiled the surprise there much, but welcome back and thank you for joining us to go through week 14 of the NFL Thank you, thank you for having me. Uh, I wish I was here earlier, but um, yeah, there's a strike at the moment in London, so I couldn't get back in time. But uh, yeah, thank you for having me, boys. Lazy bastards! Fuck you, get a job. Right, that's a a discussion for another time. (laughs) (laughs) We'll kick things off by talking about week 14 and looking at team of the week. Skin, I will start with you on this one. I love it when you come to me first. I mean, come on me first. Oh. Oh. Uh, My team, 
of the week and fuck the lot of you because I was that mad that they got took off me for wild card of the week is the Detroit Lions. Um, beat <laughs> previously 10-2 and two Minnesota Vikings, 34-23. Ag, we've spoke about them on, on one of our earlier episodes about what they needed to turn those high-scoring performances into wins and they, they seem to have, have cracked it. They were in absolutely phenomenal form and somehow, I think they started the season one and six, was it? And yeah. they've somehow got, at this stage of the season, they somehow have a chance of making the playoffs and it's absolutely phenomenal. I can't believe it. So, yeah, for me, just for that team spirit, for beating such a highly ranked team, um, you know, up, up to that point and still are to be fair on 10 and 3, it's nothing to be sniffed at. But, yeah, Detroit Lions for me are, are the team of the week. They, they've, they've finally found that missing piece, which is turning those points into wins. So, fair play to them. I'm glad someone's mentioned them because it brings me on nice to apologising to everybody that I slated for believing <laughs> that uh, my lock yes, of the week bastard. of the Vikings, mainly much, uh, my decision to go for the Vikings to beat the Lions... And I think it was mainly was it just you and Sam, wasn't it? Much that, that... Sam weren't happy because he he puts he puts a tenner on our football and NFL locks of the week, so he he was already blaming <laughs> you for him losing that bet before any of the games there had you started. Go. So you so guys, despite yeah, you guys knew what you were talking about a little bit better than I did, and there we go. So I'll apologise. Hold my hands up. That one was on uh, on on me. The Vikings losing to the Lions. Uh, Kemp, we'll come to you next. Stay with me, boys. On one. And two. Ah, Anal beads. Oh, sorry. <laughs> You'll never hear me say that ever. I thought he, I thought he was wanted anal beads, but it's not yeah, Dallas Cowboys. Too. It's not. It's not Dallas Cowboys. Uh, it's oh. the San Francisco 49ers. <laughs> Unbelievably, just what? What? Where, who is Brock Purdy? Where did he come from? And and how? Mister Irrelevant, maybe. How yeah. did we get him in New York? Is he the new Davis <laughs> no. Webb? He, oh, he's, he's better than Davis Webb. Only just, though. Only just. Yeah. 185 yards, two touchdowns. I, uh, Christian McCaffrey on fire. Debo Samuel on fire. Brandon Ayuk on fire. Yeah, it was a fantastic performance against um, the Bucks. Dominant throughout. 21 points in the second quarter. They're my team of the week quite by, by a fair margin. I'll tell you First what. First ever rookie quarterback to beat Tom Brady. Yeah, in his first start. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. In his first start, sorry, yeah, it took what nearly twenty-five years to do it. But yeah, fair play to him. Great start as well. That I'll, I'll tell you what, that's two out of two so far. Because when Jimmy G went down injured, I think I mentioned as well on the podcast that that has us as the favourites for the NFC West, and San Fran just just crumbling, and that certainly hasn't happened. So I'm two for two at the moment for stupid comments that have been proven wrong. <laughs> Much. Let's go yeah, see what well you've got week, for mate. me. I want to make I want to make two points quickly. Um, honorable firstly, mention. Honorable mentions are yes. the Lions because obviously they were my main pick as well, but because of a snake draft, a certain Sam White got lucky in that aspect. Yeah, um, I think I think with the Lions, they've been finally they've always had a good run game this season. Like you said, they finally managed to churn out wins, um, and I think that pass rush on their on their defensive side is uh, doing bits. So fair play to the Lions. Um, they've been tremendous. Uh, the 49ers have been incredible as well. I think uh, shout out to, to Kempe as well. That's a good pick. Uh, Brock Purdy just looked good. He looked good. I think it's a scheme that doesn't really need a QB, uh, an elite QB in terms of uh, it doesn't need elite QB play. Just obviously built on the zone run. So fair yeah. play. 
I'm going to be biased with my my pick. I'm going to go, go with my Eagles. My baby boy Eagles with Jalen Hurts so good. Um, we we're just the best team in the NFL, I think, right now. And I think we've got the MVP play, playing for us at quarterback. We absolutely decimated um, a Giants team that is struggling right now. But you shouldn't be um, kind of assuming it's a win. They're a dangerous team. But we yeah. shut down the run game. And, uh, yeah, we're just complete on all sides of the ball. So, um, yeah, I, I just hope we can peak at the right time in the playoffs because there is some untapped potential with this team. I think we could still be even better. So, Eagles are my pick. Fly, Eagles, fly. Fair pick. I, I call it the massacre at MetLife because Giants like were that. never, ever in that game. Eagles, right. I, I completely agree, mate. I don't think, other than Chiefs slash Mahomes, maybe you can't really argue against Eagles being A, the best team in the NFL and, and Hurts being B, the, the lead for the uh, MVP vote so far at this point. So, yeah, fair play, mate. You must be excited for the playoffs. Very excited, mate. I have to say, maybe two weeks ago, I was, uh, I was, like, I, was I think I had Mahomes edging it in terms of winning uh, the MVP. But uh, I think Hurts these last two weeks have just, he's not put a foot wrong. I, I think that's what he's got going for him. He's just not put a foot wrong. And he's just getting better every game. Like Josh Allen is at a lull, a mid-season lull. Uh, Mahomes has been pretty steady, but I think Hurts is just getting better and better. So, yeah. But for the young man, I'd love to see him win it. I think it would do wonders for him and his contract negotiations as well. So, yeah, yeah absolutely spot on about you're absolutely spot on about the Giants game, though. I mean, Dayball come out after the game and just said, "Love the Eagles, love what they do. They're unbelievable." And I was watching the game, cooking tea at the same time, thankfully, so I didn't see all the nitty gritty. But <laughs> yeah, um, the Eagles absolutely ran us off the ran us off the field. We we never looked in it. That's why I went and cooked tea instead of watching the game because I was, you know, there's been a few Giants games this season where it's been like, oh, you know, we could get something out of this, but we, we were never in it. You're the better team from the get go. Um, a lot to admire. A fantastic young quarterback with a lot of potential. A fantastic young team with a lot of potential. So yeah. really exciting times for you boys. And um, yeah, the Giants can be tricky customers at times. Well, you know, I beat think, the Ravens, yeah. beat the Packers. You know, we, we we can upset people at times, and and we can be that awkward team that you can come into the game thinking you're gonna gonna you know beat us handily, and then um, we, uh, we we nick a win. So um, yeah, fantastic performance and mark of champions as well. I think. I think um, I will say this about the Giants quickly. I think they'd be quite a solid team in the playoffs because I think Skin's favorite saying is "any given Sunday." And I think the Giants, the Giants embody that because I think they're a cold weather team as well. Um, and uh, Saquon in Jan is going to be a dangerous, tricky customer, in my opinion. So I'm not ruling you boys out. If you guys can make a make a playoff spot, I think uh, all to play for for you boys as well. But uh, away from Justin Bieber's yacht. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Remember that. Yeah. But, Aggie, uh, who's, yeah. Your, uh, who's your who's your team of the week? I'm going to stick with my theme of picking losers and I'm going to go with the Denver Broncos. Um, oh, my fucking God. Although Go it started gone from poorly this show, to honestly. begin with. <laughs> with four minutes left of the first half, they were 27 nothing down. They lost the game by six points against the Kansas City Chiefs, a side that people are now tipping to be the number one seed in the AFC, Super Bowl potentially winners, Mahomes, of course, included in that as well. And I think the turnovers that they got to to get the game that close, I think Mahomes threw, was it three interceptions, maybe maybe four in the end? 
in that game. Um, I think that Denver need at least a little bit of positivity out of what has been a shit season so far. So I think I'm going to give them team of the week. Broncos Nation, he lied. Um, <laughs> and I yeah, think... of course, Russell Wilson went off injured, didn't he? So No, yeah. Well, I think in regards to the Broncos, fair play to their defence because I think you can call that an elite defensive setup in terms of their defence. It's just their offence. They, they should be better than what they are. And I think a lot of it may come down to the head coach. A lot of it comes down to Russell Wilson. He's looked really off par this year. But uh, yeah, I can't believe you've chosen them as your team of the week, mate. I have to call you out on that. You're an well, absolute idiot. My first that. choice was Sam Fran, but Kemp took him. So I've gone with Denver. So why would you go for a losing team, you stupid bastard? Paddy Mahomes, 352 because... passing yards. Let's move nice on. To one, play, I'm, I'm, I don't get what, why that's relevant. How many interceptions? They've given up 352 passing yards. That's As a why team, they went they lost 27 the nothing down and brought it back. When you're 27 right. nothing down, it's so easy to just switch off and that's it. You well, they might as well have because they still didn't win, did they? Six to anybody so that's still that's listening to episode 12 of Loaded Sport, can I get a high? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> player of the weekend. Right, come let's on. go into your players of the weekend. Um, I started with skin, so this time I go for much. My players of the week, uh, I am going to go for Jalen Hurts. Um, I just think, yeah, he's unstoppable right now. Um, and I have this theme of maybe choosing a lot of Eagles players week in, week out, but sue me. Uh, Jalen Hurts is my player of the week. Fair enough. Uh, Kemp? I'm going to go with Jerick McKinnon for the Kansas City Chiefs. Dunked all over your Broncos Great defense pick. there, Adam. Um, 112 yards. Uh, two touchdowns, nine targets, seven receptions. Very economical, very efficient with his plays, um, and, and and I think he had a standout performance. And when you you've got targets like Juju Smith-Schuster and Travis Kelsey lining up alongside you, not to mention Valdez Scantling, you know it's it's difficult to stand out sometimes. But that's definitely what he did on the weekend. He's my player of the week. Fair enough, skin. You get to go first, mate, don't you? And if you take so, my pick, I'll slit your so, throat. So, so, thought, so, so thoughtful. Um, I'm going to go with uh, Christian McCaffrey. Have I gone for your pick? No. Nope, all good. Um, I'm going to go with CMC. Uh, 14 rushing attempts, 119 yards and a touchdown um, in a San Fran team that I thought was just going to fall to pieces. He's he had a receiving touchdown as well. A receiving touchdown on top of that as well. Um, in a side that absolutely destroyed the Buccaneers. So uh, I'm going to give mine to CMC. Fair enough, mate. Fair enough. Uh, no, you didn't take mine. I'm going to give my player of the week to the man that over the years has faced a lot of criticism. And for the most part, it was warranted. But my player of the week is a Jared Goff. I went with nice. Detroit Lions. Yeah, went with hey! Lions. My team of the week. I wanted them as my wild card. Uh, me and Kemp have got a £50 bet that Jared Goff never wins a Super Bowl in his lifetime. Because the the joke at the time while he was with the Rams was that he was the he was holding them back. Rams then went and traded him to the Lions for Matthew Stafford and, and won a Super Bowl. So kind of obviously backed up that thought process and that decision. But Goff this season has gone very under the radar in terms of what he's delivered in the stats. And, and this weekend, 27 of 39, 330 yards and three passing touchdowns. So, yeah, I, I think I'm always of that. If you're going to give someone shit when they deserve the shit, You've got, to, you've got to give them the praise when they deserve that. So, yeah, for me, Jared Goff this week. That's fair enough. Let's have a look at the locks of the week and the wild cards and just see what that did to the scores. Um, despite being on two out of three after the football round, um, I went for the Vikings, Joe Mixon. Wank. Wank. And the Steelers. Wank. So I went 0-3. 
which gave me a total of two out of six. Wow. Um, Sam went for the Chiefs to win. They did. He went for Kelsey to score a touchdown. He did not. But he also went for the Lions to win in a wild card, which they did, which meant he got two out of three, which gives him a total of two out of five, considering that Oxford got uh, postponed. Mudge went for the Eagles as his team. They did win. Uh, yes, AJ mate. Brown to get a touchdown. They did. He yes, did, mate. should I say. Um, and the yep. Browns to win, which they did not, which means Mudge finishes on two out of six. And Kemp, his team was the Cowboys. They won. Damn Cowboys! <laughs> <laughs> they saved me. They saved me. Fucking saved you, Jesus. Um, he went for <laughs> CMC. An understatement. Uh, he went yep. for CMC to score a touchdown. He did. And he went Go for on, the Jets to win, which they did not. Which means, Kemp, uh, you've got a new personal best of Two. Yes! One out of one out of six. <laughs> two. 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 Yeah, you got six. two. two. Well done. A Go massive on, shout out to CMC as well for helping Kemp secure a playoff spot in our uh, fantasy yeah. football league. Yes, it time. means it's me against Kemp this week. Come on, baby. Come on. You think you're special. Right, and then Skin, you went for the Bengals to win. They did. Yes. You went for the King to get a touchdown. He Ooh. did. Yes. And you went for the Panthers to beat the Seahawks. Yes. They did. Which means you are this week's winner with a total of four out of a possible five. Adam, I've just got a quick point to make because that Panthers uh, against Seahawks call for skin was unreal. Yeah. And obviously you called Morocco to beat Portugal. Yeah. Do you think they're both worth two points because of the, uh, the how good of a call they both were? Um, I, I don't really maybe, want to talk too much card. about the Panthers one because as a Seahawks fan, I'm just going to be biased and say, no, fuck that. Wow. But with um the Morocco one, I'd say yes because I don't think Morocco had any I chance to fuck yourself, Portugal. Mate. <laughs> um, I'm going to take the two points on that. I'll make that final decision. Um, As for the Panthers, I don't know. Did you guys really think it was that big of a claim? I mean... Well, you can't get two points for your wild card, and I don't get two points for mine. It's wild card. No, 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 no. no. Oh, we're doing two points per wild card. I thought it was just because of how audacious it was. No, yeah, I'm going off audaciousness. The Seahawks against the Panthers, like when you go into that, I think Seahawks my luck of the week the week before. Yeah, I think Seahawks were Seahawks were the clear favourite there. I don't know. I know Sam listening to this will probably be fuming with it, but. I yeah, think, probably. Yeah, I think Morocco is probably the most audacious claim we've had. So you definitely deserve two for that, Ag. Well done, Ag. Thank you. So uh, I finished. We'll, we'll on... do. We'll do. We'll do one two pointer per week. You got Hendo week before. Like the most audacious pick of the week gets two oh, points. We'll say legacy creating that. Legacy yeah, creating. So uh, I'll, I'll got... take the two points there, then, which puts me in second place with uh, with three. Nice. So I'll take that. Still not beat me, but anyway. Um, can I just very quickly close off on a, an honourable mention for the uh, Player of the Week, if you wouldn't mind, lads? There's a bit of a quick no discussion trip. point. We spoke in last week's preview show or last week's review show, I can't remember, about Baker Mayfield being released by the Carolina Panthers at his own request, where he might end up going. We, we lean towards the 49ers coming off the back, uh, back of the... Uh, Jimmy G injury. I mentioned that they might go with Purdy because he had a lot of fans in the locker room. Rams ended up picking him up. He had, well, he didn't even, he, he wore a game jersey before he wore a practice jersey. He didn't really know the playbook. He knew about six plays. Um, and they were 16 10 down with a minute and a half left on their own two yard line with no timeouts. And he led a 98 yard drive to win the Rams the game. So, 
it, it doesn't really have any playoff implications. They're not going to make it. It's not going to have any draft implications because they haven't got the first round pick. But I thought he deserved a shout because we spoke about him getting released. So to come in on your first game with no time to prepare, really, and, and do that is uh, is well worth a mention. So fair play. It, to does, it is. It is. And it goes back to what you say. If you're going to slate someone, you need to be prepared to praise them when they do well. Baker yeah. Mayfield was non-existent at the start of this season. He's got that move and, and he had a really good start. So well done to him. Um, doesn't really change how I feel about him as a quarterback and as a as a as a top player in the NFL. But you know, a credit where it's due and credit to Baker Mayfield this last week. I uh, yeah, I I think I'm glad Skin did that because I was good. My honourable mentions were going to be him and Miles Sanders, but um, yeah, I can hold my hands up. Obviously, um, I agree with Kemp. I don't think he's going to be um, kind of blowing off anyone's socks, but he uh, he was she blow my socks off. <laughs> He was, uh, he, yeah, that comeback win was uh, was brilliant from him. So, uh, yeah, well done, Baker. Enjoy the money. Fair enough. Um, that is all we've got time for for episode 12 of Loaded Sport. Mudge, thanks for joining us for the NFL section. Whoa, 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 whoa. Go fuck yourself. Yeah, what? go fuck yourself. A, for not doing my question of the episode. But, uh, Mudge, this one's for you, mate. Uh, last Send week it. it was for Kemp, or last episode was for Kemp. Uh, you're not going to be joining us for the next couple of weeks or so because you're due to be going to the Philippines tomorrow, is it? Yes. So yes, we'll I'm be excited. T- tomorrow, which will be Wednesday when we release this episode. So just for the listeners who are, who are going to miss you, I'm going to miss you, and we're going to miss you not being able to get in with I'm stuff not. in Erie in Slate Adam for the next couple of weeks or so. So, what is the yeah. top thing that you are most looking forward to on your holiday? Uh, probably fingering a monkey. There we go. Good night, everybody. Not everyone.